Hello. The winner is. Well, sorry I didn't win it, Mr. Lemley. I know no one else I'd rather have beat me than you. I am the most frantically sought person in Cinemaland. I, Oscar the Academy Award. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms, but no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent. With me, as always, are two other hosts that I'm trying to remember. Do I remember them? Well, let's see if they can remind me. Uh, well, uh, I'm Sarah, and I'll say, most of all, I remember Caleb. Oh, <laughs> How sweet. I'm Caleb, and uh, I'm trying to remember I remember Mama, so... <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> but hey, we can't see what we're watching yet. I gotta do my countdown. Aww. Alright, you ready for this? At the 21st Academy Awards, Johnny Belinda was nominated for 12 Oscars. It won only one. Best Actress for Jane Wyman. Then, two films got seven nominations. Hamlet, which won four Oscars, which won Best Picture, Best Actor for Laurence Olivier, Best Art Direction for a Black and White Film, and Best Costume Design for a Black and White Film. Sidebar, I'm curious why, after shooting Henry V, which we all agreed one of the best assets was, was the color, did he decide to do Hamlet in Black and White. I'm just curious now. But Hamlet evokes not- a, more, a more Black and White feeling to me. Why did the Cohen brothers shoot Tragedy of Macbeth? Well, I'll have, you, I'll have you know, Sarah, it was only one Cohen. Okay. And the, well, other, you know, the other Cohen is the one who likes using all color right. in his well, films. All right, well, cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> then, the movie with seven nominations was Joan of Arc. It won two. Cinematography and costume design, both for color films. Then, The Snake Pit got six nominations. It won Best Sound Recording. Then, two films had five nominations. One of them was The Red Shoes which won two, won Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, and Best Art Direction in Color. But then there was another little film. Film that we already remembered on this podcast that had five nominations and no wins. I Remember Mama. Sarah, what was I Remember Mama nominated? So I Remember Mama was nominated for Best Actress for Irene Dunn, uh, who lost to Jane Wyman for Johnny Belinda, this was Irene Dunn's fifth and final nomination. Um, she never won. Uh, Best Supporting Actor for Oscar Homolka, we'll say. That's how you pronounce it. Uh, and he lost to Walter Houston for The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Best Supporting Actress for Barbara Bel Geddes, who lost to Claire Trevor in Key Largo. This was Barbara Bel Geddes' only nomination, but she later won an Emmy for Dallas, which is important later. Um, it was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Ellen Corby, who again lost to Claire Trevor in Key Largo. Uh, and Ellen Corby actually won the Golden Globe that year, and she won multiple Emmys for the Waltons. Um, and then finally, Best Cinematography Black and White uh, for Nicholas Musaraka, who lost to William Daniels' The Naked City. Okay, Caleb, give us some historic context on I Remember Mama. So I remember Mama, much like last week's film, was an RKO film. 
1948 was an interesting year for RKO. They had, of course, struggled under uh, the blacklist, like we talked last about last week, losing some talent there. And also just it had hit Dory Shelley, um, who was kind of the heading things up hard because he shared a lot of the convictions that the Hollywood 10 did. Um, but to preserve his studio and his career, he kind of had to throw them under the bus. Um, but it was also, you know, struggling because of antitrust uh, cases that were going through the Supreme Court at the time as well, which all the major studios were dealing with. How this took shape was that Howard Hughes did a takeover of the company. Um, Howard Hughes, of course, had had a little bit of experience with filmmaking, but a lot more experience being kind of uh, unpredictable is a word we'll use. Um, and he shut down uh, the studio for a couple weeks and canceled or shelved a lot of the projects that were more socially conscious and considered to be message films. Uh, much like last week's, these were things that the studio was uh, kind of pushing very heavily. Um, and he fired a bunch of people, uh, forced a bunch of people out. Um, Charlie pretty quickly uh, quit because he did not want to work under Hughes in these conditions. And Hughes would slowly but surely run the studio into the ground. And the fall of RKO is... Uh, you know, a slow and steady decline, but it also marks the first real loss or real death toll for classic Hollywood. What a day to talk about this, huh? Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> good thing we're banking this up so far later because so many, uh, so many parallels to the news of today, <laughs> April 25th, 2022, just so the listeners know when we recorded this. So they understand what Sarah's referring to. I think RKO losing credibility is a, more of a tragedy than Twitter. <laughs> I think uh, Twitter is probably more culturally important. There's so many articles about... There's a Wikipedia article for Kofefe. What's more influential than Twitter? Anyway, some fun facts about the ceremony before we get to the movie. Um, this is the first time Best Picture went to a film that was not made in Hollywood, which, of course, is Hamlet. And this is the first time the uh, person directed themselves to win an Oscar. Because Lawrence Olivier directed Hamlet, and he won the Oscar for his performance. A bit more significant for us is that we will no longer be cheating when we add a nomination for costume design. Costume design is introduced at this ceremony. I know, right? It's exciting. Um, There's some other stuff here that I don't think is really relevant. They're all about the treasure of Sierra Madre. for the op- for something that's kind of like the snub club, but not really, um, Joan of Arc set a record this year for receiving seven nominations, but not a Best Picture nomination. This record stood until 1969, which they shoot horses, don't they? Got nine nominations, but no Best Picture nomination. I think that's kind of tangentially related to what we're about. Um, Hamlet uh, is the fifth film to win Best Picture without a screenwriting nomination. Uh, which might not sound significant, but the next one doesn't happen until Sound of Music wins in 1975, I feel like. I think that's 75, right? 75, 70, 65, excuse me, 65. I'm off I was going to say, that's way too late. Yeah, I, I, the five is sticking out my head, but that's still, still a bit from now, quite a bit from now. Um, Jane Wyman, 
is the first actress to win an award since the silent era with no lines in her dialogue. Um, and Johnny Belinda is the fourth film to receive nominations in all four acting categories. However, our movie... Well, wait, you know, I'll, I'll close on our movie. I'll close on our movie. The other thing I wanted to mention is that the special award for best foreign film went to me this year. It was for the French film Monsieur Vincent. I'm Monsieur Vincent. Monsieur. Monsieur. <laughs> After Charleston still said Vincent. I don't, think, I don't think it becomes whatever I just butchered. Oh my god. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to. I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I just looked at Johnny Melinda and this movie looks nuts. <laughs> What's Johnny Belinda about? I, I, about? I Johnny Belinda has a nice little parallel to a other movie that came out, The Power of the Dog. I just thought because it's one Oscar went to Jane and had twelve nominations, and it probably was the front runner going into the night. It definitely didn't win anything. It's about uh, a deaf mute woman who is sexually assaulted. That does not sound like a fun time. It doesn't, but it movie. sounds pretty. Uh, pretty intense. sounds. And it has sign language. Very cool. That's pretty neat, yeah. It anyway. was the second most popular film at the British box office that year. Um, but anyway, I remember Mama received four acting nominations, but obviously not a Best Picture nomination, because Sarah didn't say that. It yes. tied the record set by another movie we covered on this podcast, My Man Godfrey. Uh, two more films down the road tie this record having four acting nominations, but not Best Picture nomination. And I don't believe we'll be covering either of them. One of them is Othello, the Laurence Olivier version. And the other one is 2008's Doubt, which is uh, the uh, movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep. And Amy Adams. And Viola Davis. We, we, so if you're, we, we gotta mention all of them once we've mentioned three of them. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Bruno. No, what we don't remember. Mama! If we Wait. must. We might cover Doubt. Maybe, maybe I spoke too soon. I think we do cover Doubt. Spoiler alert for 2008. I think we covered Doubt. I'm unsure, though. We'll see. We'll bring it up in three years, one way or the other. Um, all right. I remember Mama. Uh, who wants to start on this? Because I don't think I should. Um, this is okay. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> I like this film. I couldn't tell you a gosh darn thing that went on in it. It is completely weightless and kind of vapid, but also extremely wholesome. It reminded me of Little Women, but like a Little Women that was written with like no personality or sense of conflict or quality but i had a good time i also watched this on 1.5 speed which i think helps wow cheater cheater pumpkin eater wow um, i watched this in real speed but i also would have a hard time telling you anything that happened to it. my main takeaway in it is is that it's pretty impressive how we've seen george stevens direct before in the talk of the town and I feel like the talk of the town feels like it came out like 10 or 20 years after this movie. It has so much more personality. It's so much more watchable. I the feel talk of like... town is only six years prior. 
I feel like, you know, there's a lot of debate about like movies on streaming, Netflix movies. Are they movies? Are they? Should they be? Should they be? I'm, I, I have a point here. Okay. Should they be? Should they be eligible for the Oscars or are they TV movies? Are they Emmy movies? Oh. I firmly believe that we watched a made-for-TV movie this <laughs> week. I can't argue. <laughs> I, actually, you brought up the Waltons earlier, right, yeah. Sarah? And Dallas. Yeah, it felt that, like it felt like the Waltons to me. Yeah. In the sense that's extremely boring, but unlike the Waltons, <laughs> I like this. So uh, it's based off a play that's based off a book that I imagine is quite boring. The book and the play. Uh, I don't know. I have a few notes. To talk about none of them have anything to do with the actual movie. I mean, they do. They do, but they're all just like, "Oh, why are they crying at Tale Two Cities?" Did you guys ever tell you about the essay I wrote in high school about Tale Two Cities? I mean, no. I guess, tell us. So my English teacher, one, she was always like, "This is my favorite novel that I ever, if I ever teach, is Tale of Two Cities," and I hated it. I thought it was hot garbage. I was so bored with it. So I write my final paper for the class, and I title it "A Tale of Two Pities: Why a Tale of Two Cities is Dickens' Least Work," which is really funny because I've only read A Christmas Carol and Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> It's just pretty top-tier high school for me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, Tale Two Pities. I was really proud of the title at the time. And looking back on it, I shouldn't have been as proud. Because it's kind of an obvious title for a pan of Tale Two Cities. How did that go over with I can think of one that's a little bit teacher. more obvious. <laughs> well, I can't do that. <laughs> can't submit that one, Sarah. Uh, my teacher was just like, oh, Danny. I'm so sad. I that's not her voice. She was Scottish. She's Scottish. Uh, So I gotta do it. The way I always remember doing... And she... I'm not making fun... I love her. She was like my... She did uh, all the directing when I was in high school. Uh, And she would always like be like, yeah, do do my voice. And it'd be like... The way we'd do is like, what's your favorite animal, Mrs. Sharp? And she'd go, squirrel. Squirrel. (laughs) But yeah. uh, She was like, oh, Danny... But then I think she got her revenge on me because then when we did Macbeth, I was so mad in my class. So we all do Macbeth. Uh, did I talk about this when we did our, our, our Henry V episode? I don't know. I, I was, don't think so. I was the king in our our production of Princess and the Pea. So she was like, you got to focus on your lines there, Danny. I'm going to just have you be the doctor in Macbeth. And I was so mad because I did not think that our Macbeth was very good. I would have been way better as Macbeth. But I also just dressed up like, I think, Matt Smith's doctor when I was the doctor. Because I thought it was stupid that I had to be the doctor. So I just was canonically the doctor. Anyway, this is all to bring up because there's a scene in I Remember Mama where all these people are sitting around a Tale of Two Cities. And like we cut ahead an hour and they're just reading the last line of Tale of Two Cities and they're all crying. And I was like, I remember putting down the book and being glad it was done. That's that's why this whole digression came from. So, <laughs> I remember Mama is... I remember Tale of Two Pities. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, our main character. Uh, Catherine was her name, I think. Yeah. She is 
telling the story of her mother and kind of looking back, um, telling the story of her whole family, but with the mother as kind of the central focus. And it's just, it's, it's episodic domestic scenes. One of the kids gets sick and they go to the hospital and the mom isn't allowed in. So she sneaks in. Uh, one of the kids' cats get sick and lots of getting sick in this movie. It's the um, same kid too. They're a they're they're a uh, poor family from who immigrated from Norway and they're living in San Francisco, just trying to get by. I think the driving force, I guess, would be they have an uncle who is kind of kind of the head of the family. And all the other like adults in the family is scared of him besides this mother. And he kind of ingratiates himself to Catherine and then he dies. And then Catherine becomes a writer and writes her first story about mama. And it's like, Oh, mom's done all this stuff throughout the story. She's given up all this stuff. And it reminded me of the Arthur finale. I'll take your word for it. Sarah saw the Arthur finale. I don't get that at all though. I mean, I guess no. maybe. So the art for finale. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I won't do that. I think no, we were done. I there. guess I get what you're saying. Basically, the idea is like telling the telling the using the story that you're telling as a framing device. It's great. Tale as old as at least 1948. Yes. I'm sure it was. Oh my gosh, guys! Too. Next year we get to the first movie that came out after my dad was born. That's exciting. My dad was born in 1949. I have old parents. We've covered this before. I remember what I was going to say, by the way. Not the Tale of Two Pities thing. It was about my DVD copy of this movie. It opens with an introduction that was optional. So, of course, I clicked it because I'm like, ooh, an introduction. (laughs) Who's going to introduce it? And, of course, it's George Stevens' son, whose name is also George. George Stevens Jr. Um, And he talks about how his father has a directing style that is more significant than any director currently working. And I have to call. <laughs> I didn't see any directing style in this movie okay. compared to what we okay. watched recently. There are some fun moments here, especially at the beginning. There's a nice little zoom out from the city, and then it pans down to a to a typewriter. There's some cool mirror shots in this. So I'm not going to say George Stevens is without style, but uh, I think. Uh, his style isn't able to carry the whatever script this movie may have had. I do think it's cool. The other thing they mentioned is they shot on location a lot of it in San Francisco, and I thought that was neat. Always cooler to do that than just a back lot, you know? Okay, whatever. <laughs> I thought I mean, it was yeah. cool. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks real, uh, and it doesn't look like it conflicts with the period that the film is set in. Is there? It, any... it looks like it was shot. Like sorry, I'm just imagining. It looks like it's shot in like 1970. Somehow, I'm sorry, Caleb. Go on. Is there any plot point that sticks out to y'all? I mean, the other thing, the other thing I noticed that I mentioned to Sarah that I want to talk about was the doctor. Uh, and I'm curious. This is where I want to do my side research on, but I didn't do it yet. Is glasses right? His glasses. He had one of those glasses. That don't have the, what do you call it? The wires, the frame. What do you call them? I don't remember. You know, like the handles. They were just balanced on his nose. Okay. Okay. When were those popularized? Why? How are those useful? 
Won't they just fall off your nose? What if you sneeze? Well, Don't they usually have like a it. little hook or a little chain? I didn't see it on this guy. It looked like it was just sitting there. This is the main thing that stuck out to me in the entire movie. <laughs> Are we all Googling the doctor? And no, I remember Mama? I'm not. Um, it is called that style of glasses is called a Prince Nez. Um, and it was popular in the late 19th and early 20th century. So when this oh, was so a period accurate detail. Yeah. That's cool. Makes sense. Uh, that is the extent of research I'm going to do on these glasses. I say, uh, it's pronounced nay. Nay. Oh, is it French? It's French. Boo. Much like, much like me, we'll show up in salt. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I have one plot point that we could talk about only because I want to talk about something else. <laughs> something <laughs> not just bringing up right. So this is a plot point. So one of the, so I guess we'll talk about one of the nominees. Is the aunt is gonna? She really wants to get married, and she's old. She's forty two, which is actually kind of interesting because she has a baby at the end, but she's forty four. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I don't want to talk about the aunt at all. I just want to talk about the guy that she gets married to. I was going to say, he's he's the most interesting part of this entire movie to me, that he's there. I don't know if Caleb, Caleb did you recognize the actor or look it up, who that actor was? He's uh, probably no. the most famous person in this movie, I'd say. Well, personally. Irene Dunn is famous. I, besides Irene Dunn, I was getting to that. Besides Irene Dunn, he's probably the most famous person in this movie. What was that character's name? It was Peter Sorkel. Torkelson. Torkelson. Torkelson, yeah. Torkelson. Oh no. Oh no. So first of all, he's Candace Bergen's dad. Famously famously known for Murphy Brown. So again, another TV. Um, the guy's name is Ed- Edgar Bergen. And uh he is he was very famous in a specific style yeah uh and he had a partner i would say <laughs> they both carry on the muppet movie okay okay he's the he plays the greatest disney villain and by great i don't mean like good i mean in terms of evil he and wonton the dog that saved hollywood sorry go on sorry <laughs> there's a movie called wonton ton the dog he saved hollywood Oh, it's a parody of Ren Tin Tin, I see. <laughs> yeah. But I Didn't save RKO from Howard Hughes. <laughs> oh, the title of this movie is originally A Bark is Born. That's a better title. Anyways, what was... What, 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 what? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't... You haven't... Done the I full I mean, I only see... Uh, I only it's see... Like 15% of Rotten Tomatoes. The oh one Tom movie. <laughs> Basically, his partner is named Charlie McCarthy. Charlie McCarthy is a is a is a is a dummy. It's a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, he has his own IMDb page. He <laughs> plays weird. Mortimer Snurd and Fun and Fancy Free, a a ventriloquist who goes to a birthday party, but there's only one child at the birthday party, and then tells the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. It is one of the creepiest. The moments in all of cinema history and i hate it so so much i mean i feel like him showing up in the muppet movie always disturbs me because it's just like that there are muppets there you shouldn't have them by ventriloquist dummies what's going on i see i think that's funny 
always disturbs me. <laughs> it really does. That's all I gotta say. It's like he disturbs well, me. This is a very this movie is a very rare appearance of him without Charlie McCarthy. So I hate it. I hate it so much. All goodwill I had for this movie has been stripped away. I mean, it's got the most famous actor. I like that his filmography includes a documentary. How many people Wikipedia pages include like documentary archive footage for their, their filmography? I hate it. <laughs> You're just so. What if he was so in this neg- movie? What if Charlie McCarthy was in the movie? Who would he play? Oh. <laughs> I think he's pretty obviously Nels. He's got to be the older brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> or the guy who reads uh, Tale of Two Pities. He would always have, like, Torkelson would always have to be with him. He's just hiding under the table. And they go like, where'd you meet him? And they go like, oh, I met him under the table. <laughs> and then everyone would just stare at the audience. And it'd be a nice postmodern bit of humor in this film that has no sense of humor. I'm sorry. I didn't like this movie. I know, Caleb, you said you liked it. I I was so bored of it that the only thing I could do is make jokes on it. It feels like it got nominated for so much stuff just because they were impressed they could do Norwegian accents. I don't think anyone in this is doing anything impressive. The only thing I'm impressed by is that I guess this is like tangible proof why we don't have a makeup department. Like, we don't have a makeup Oscar yet because that mustache just never looks real on the uncle. Okay, I'm gonna try to. Okay, you are perfectly valid for not liking this. This is a bad movie. But, <laughs> but you just said you liked it. I had a good time with it. I like the uncle. He's just he's just constantly yelling at everybody, and he has the most psychotic expressions. Um, I do like I, his rant about a dowry. I think that's really great. The dowry rant is fantastic. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, we're all about the fun uncles nowadays. What about the uncles that strive terror into the hearts of their siblings? Why, why isn't that a more common type? Just wait for the Spielberg movie this year. We're going to see Seth Rogen beat up Paul Dana, hopefully. I don't know if that's actually how it's going to work, but hopefully. <laughs> There is one segment, none of the conflict in this movie works because like either one, it's out, it's coming from outside the family, like the sickness or someone not paying them for renting a room or something like that. But the resolution to that just always comes too quickly. However, even when it's in the family, there just isn't that like stickiness to it. There's no like real cruelty amongst the siblings or like pettiness Uh, like there's this part where one of the siblings like it's way too complicated to get into but like one of the siblings wants a dress and that means the mom has to sell something off and then they tell the sibling that the mom sold it off and then she's guilty about the dress it's just all very it's the closest this gets to having actual like conflict between the characters and it's kind of like the conflict between Amy and Joe in Little Women, except there are actual stakes and consequences to how Joe treats Amy. And in this, the next scene just moves on without any like continuity for how these characters interact with each other. I, I really do have to say that like I already thought it was like I, I haven't ever read Little Women, but I've seen multiple adaptations of it. Only one movie adaptation, but like a TV adaptation. Anyway, 
I always was like, like, this is a solid story, Little Women. It's not for me, but I like how it's executed. But after watching this, Four Daughters, and like, I feel like we're probably going to hit a number one. I'm just like, no, Little Women is like a classic for a reason. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's engaging. It's great. We have multiple memorable characters in Little Women <laughs> compared to any other movie we've seen that takes the Little Women formula. <laughs> But the rabbits were named after the little women characters. I don't think I, I caught that immediately. Yeah, yeah. Nice little call forward to better movies that would be made eventually. Or call uh, back to Catherine Hepburns. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, there's no sense of time in this movie. I don't know how much time is passing. It's another thing Little Women does really well. I'm sorry to just like lazily compare this to Little Women, but there's not much else I can do. Well, I don't like Little Women. And I didn't like this. I thought you liked the one on a writer one. <laughs> you don't? No, I don't. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, we're we're men, so obviously our being a little women. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Obviously. Awkward silence. <laughs> Awkward. I did try reading Little Men as a kid. That's the sequel to Little Women. And I thought it was boring. Uh, it was it was a... like a there's gotta be like a little woman like zombie book, right? Oh god, so. I hope not. I thought that I was a pretty I thought that trend died pretty quickly. Beth comes back and Joe has to kill her? That sounds terrible. I'm Googling Little Women Zombies. No, the only thing that's coming up is Pride. Oh, Little Women and Werewolves. That's what it's called. See, yeah, see, it's was it's like Abraham Lincoln, vampires, and like There's also yeah. Little Vampire Woman. So which one is it? Which one's the official one? I can deal <laughs> with that though. Like Lori being like a hot vampire boy. I can deal with that. Well, and they can't. They shouldn't cast Timothy Chalamet if they wanted to be hot. <laughs> <laughs> what about Christian Bale? Mm, now you're talking. <laughs> I uh, don't know. I feel like, like I said, this movie mm. feels aggressively made for television. It's got all these TV actors in it. It just feels like. I mean, we'd always talked about in like film school, we had one professor, you know, the one who would be like, this is what this is how they made TV. And this is how they made the love boat. And like, you can turn on it, you can turn on an episode at any point in time and understand what's yeah. happening. And I feel like this movie was like that, where it was like, like you, you probably could have turned it on at any point and been like, oh, okay, I get it. It's it's like a TNT, like afternoon thing. Mm-hmm. Or TBS, everyone. Um, I also think I had a comparison point to it. Well, I think we've made this comparison on this podcast before, but this more to me felt like, you know, you're, you're watching like a nineties kids movie and the main character has to go over grandma's house. And she goes, grandma, he's like, grandma, can we watch a movie? And she goes, Oh, I have the perfect one. And she puts in this and you just see a, a clip out of context of this. That's what this movie feels like to me too. You know? This feels like a fake movie and another movie. I don't know about it. It just feels like it feels like something that I okay, so I have a story. So when okay, I it's okay, in, I talked about Telltale Pity, so you can go on. <laughs> when I was in high school, I in history class, we watched um All's Quiet on the Western Front. And you might be thinking, wow, like what a great movie to watch. We watched the Hallmark version. Of it. <laughs> and for a very long time, I thought, well, not like like a couple days into the class, 
I thought that this was like the version. And then I was like, wait a second, <laughs> this is not, this is not the official version. And I feel like there, the official version of this movie is out there somewhere. <laughs> it is. It's called Low Women and you hate well, it. <laughs> this has been adapted and this has been adapted down the road. Yes, was I was going to talk about that. Oh, okay, do it. Go ahead. Well, yeah, it basically just became a TV show, which proves my point that this was always meant to be a TV show. See, that show lasted... A long time. Eight years. Eight seasons How? of Mama. Long time. How? I mean, let's be real. It makes way more sense to be a TV show than a movie. It also made I... it on stage. It lasted three months on stage. It's a Rogers. Yeah, it's a Rogers. Musical, not Hammerstein, just Rogers. Was Rogers the lyrics or the music? Rogers is the music. The lyrics okay. are Martin Chamin and Raymond Wessel. What are they famous for? It does not seem. Play. Well, Your this guy, this guy says he is most famous for his audition on America's Got Talent in 2014. Wow. <laughs> right, Jessel's most famous because he sang an original song about trans women on America's Got Talent. In oh, 2014? The other, the other one is the lyricist of Annie, though. So that, that person makes more sense. The other person's, like, relevant. <laughs> um, I like... I do like... I, I think Irene Dunn is walking in her sleep in this movie, but not doing a bad job. I'd say she's more interesting in this than in Love Affair, which was the last time we saw her. Wait, can we just go back to one thing really quick I want to say, and then we can continue? Is that Raymond Justice's song, I'm looking into it, it looks to be pretty transphobic, so don't look it up. Okay? Yeah. 2014, I would have to assume. <laughs> yeah, 84-year-old man in 2014. Yeah, good point. Uh, He's also right. dead. That's true. I don't know, man. I, I like... I like how generous the family is. I kind of thought, like, when they were trying to figure out how what they were going to give up to send their oldest son to high school, it was like, oh, it's kind of like war rationing and how the country was having to give up stuff to to win the war. Scraping the ball of the barrel here. Well, I guess I, mean, I feel can... like... Like, they talk about, like, all the kids are so great, and they're, like, such good kids, and it's, like, because of their mom, I guess. But, like, she never really... I mean, she sings to, like, sick kids in the hospital. But, like, other that than that... Really other I than that, like... That. She well, doesn't have cuts. any, like, big she's, moments where she's, like, She saves really the cat's kind. life by I, accident. That's <laughs> where that's where I'll push back, Sarah, because I think she's constantly... It's the small things, right? She's constantly either giving up the opportunity to do something or giving up something herself to make the lives of those around her better or showing generosity and kindness to other people. I feel like a lot of parents, and especially mothers, do that where they don't get the recognition for doing like all of the small things that go into raising kids. And like, I don't know. I watched this and I was like, oh, this is sweet. I should call my mom tomorrow. I don't have to. I'll see her in person. But like, I should give her a hug. Now, guys, this did win a special award, special achievement. Besides, it's won two awards. It won the Golden Globe for Sporting Actress, as Sarah said. 
but it also won a special award from the Protestant Motion Picture Console for the ensemble, which Irene Dunn collected in 1949. I guess it's the only award Irene Dunn got for this movie. Darn. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just... Can I talk about one thing? Because I feel like I wanted to like put in a joke. But it's unfortunate because none of our names have J's in them. Um, cause like I, I was ready to turn the movie off in like ten minutes <laughs> when the aunt is like, "I will yap until the bay." I was like, "This feels like a parody. This doesn't feel real." <laughs> That's pretty. But uh, apparently the accents were like pretty, pretty like accurate, which feels like if you're Norwegian, don't speak English. Can I give an actually interesting fact, though, now I'm looking at other awards? This was nominated at the first Writers Guild of America Awards. So that's kind of cool. It's the first ever Writers Guild of America. It was nominated in four, three categories, which is pretty crazy. Because one of them seems like, you know, like a special award, like best written film considering the American scene. That seems like, a, you know, a special award. But then it's also nominated for both best comedy and best drama. Like, it's in both categories. I think that's weird. Kind of cool. I don't know. I think that's neat. I didn't know that was allowed. This now, film I... is like a genre. It, like, it doesn't have a genre. It's just there. And it will float off into the ether. And it will become one of those films where one of us brings it up in like eight episodes and every and the other two are like... What was that? Much like Love Affair. Yeah. We won't remember Mama. In case you haven't caught that in our multiple dumb jokes about that. Should we just wrap it up early? <laughs> Is there anything else to say? Um, I don't know. This is just <laughs> exhausting. I mean... <laughs> it's just... Ugh. I, I wish I didn't remember Mama. Well, lucky you. We've got only a few weeks till we'll forget. Probably. Happy Maybe Mother's honestly. Day. Let's be real. It'll probably be tomorrow. Probably by the time we put out this episode, we'll be like, we, we covered that? What was that about? By the time this episode comes out. Is this uh, episode coming out near Mother's Day? Because it's like... I actually think it, I think it comes out the Monday after Mother's Day. We could put it up on Mother's Day if we want to have it be a little Mother's Day special. I feel like that. Watch be... this bad movie about moths. <laughs> nah, it can be our post Mother's Day special. Mother's Day hangover episode. Okay. All right. So, Sarah, remind us what this was nominated for. Yeah. Um, best. Best actress for Irene Dunn, who played Mama. Best supporting actor for Oscar Hamilton. Homoka, who played the uncle, Uncle Chris, Uncle Chris, uh, best supporting actress for Barbara Belgetis, who we did not talk about. Whatever, it's whatever. She, who played she, who played Katrine? Whatever, it's um, fine. Best supporting actress for Ellen Corby, who played one of the aunt, aunt Trina, Aunt Trina, and then best cinematography, black and white. Uh, well, let's be real here. This is going to be impossible. Well, well, 
I'm going to both defer to other judgment, but I'm also going to say I liked her when she was in the movie. I, you know, these movies always like I'm into the beginning and then they lose. And Aunt Trina was at the beginning of the movie. So I got to give it to Ellen Court because he was, I was paying it. Like, I, I was still interested in the story at that point. And also, she has a Golden Globe. We all know the Golden Globes are great bastions of knowing what quality is. So uh, I'll go with Ellen Court. Why not? <laughs> I was sarcasm, by the way. Golden Globes suck. I'm it's good say... to know the Golden Globes have always been a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say I read Dunn. Because only because I feel like it's like a makeup win, right? Like sure. they yeah. give it to some they give it to you when it's like, oh, you've been nominated a bunch of times, you should have won it by now. So here's a subpar movie for you to like, like like Julianne Moore still us type of win that type of thing yeah uh it played the uncle homolick whatever his name was <laughs> Oscar uh, give the Oscar give the Oscar to Oscar I'm giving the Oscar to Oscar I probably should give it tiring done because she's talented in other things um <laughs> but I had fun whenever he was on screen can we can we talk briefly before we go to our next thing? Or is, how does this get a cinematography now? Like, were there no other good options to get in? Like, there was like one good shot when they were in the hospital, and like I think that's pretty much the only time when I was like, oh okay. There was some mm-hmm. very weird like Silence of the Lambs type shots of people like talking head on to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> The doctor character starts like walking towards the camera, and I feel like he's just got bump his head. What would you give it as an additional nomination? Best supporting actor for the cat, sir. Do you know? I know. I have my go-to to get to. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna try to be as sincere as possible. I'm going to give it to. Philip Dorn, who played the dad, because did he have a lot to do? No, but I felt like the dad was a very sweet character and he felt like a nice dad. So I, he was believable in the role. It was a sequel. I remember Papa. There is a movie that was suggested to me uh, after watching this one called Life with Father from 1947. Stars William Powell, and it looks to be basically the same nonsense. So if I wanted to make a joke, I'd give it to makeup. So that mustache was really bad. That said, I'm going to go to my old standby. The house looked nice. Production design. (laughs) It's my old standby. Solid looking house. (laughs) Name, Name one thing about the house. Um, it had the table where they all sat around and listened to the stories. <laughs> there was doors, they walked in and out. It had a yeah. window. There was a there was a there was a cat there. I presume it was a prop for some scenes, so the cat's this production design. I'm really surprised you're letting me get away with the cat. <laughs> Wait, we were letting you I thought you said something else, didn't you say something else? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said something else. I mean, I did give one award to a dog once, but the dog actually was an actor. The cat, I'm sure, was not in the credits. Okay, actually, I I do have I'll a give real it to Edgar one. Bergen. 
Kidding. Charlie McCarthy. Charlie. Listen. <laughs> he convinced us he was real. Charlie McCarthy. Yes. Sorry. What were you giving it to, Caleb? The actress Florence Bates is in this. I don't remember her. I don't know which character she played, but she was on the Pioneer Woman episode of I Love Lucy. And I think that episode's funny. So I'm oh, going to give played, her Best yeah. Supporting Actress. She oh, played Florence. the writer at the end. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. You know, actually, I want to change mine to a Supporting Actress now because I think it'd be funny if we just gave this I know you gave it Supporting Actor, but imagine if it had like four Supporting Actress nominations. Uh, and you know, you're right. There wasn't really many people in the house. But you know who I like in this? I like Hope Landon as Aunt Jenny. She's like the grumpy aunt. I thought she was good. She was entertaining. Aunt, Aunt Yenny? Yenny, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. But she was good. I thought she was funny. Uh, I, I legitimately perked up when she was on screen. Uh, like, was there anything really to her role? No. But you know what? It's more to her role than there is to the house. So. <laughs> All right. You guys ready? For next time's episode? I guess. And it can't be any worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx us, Sarah. Oh, Don't why jinx would you us. say that? All right. Uh, first off, I'm checking to see if we've seen anything by this director first before I announce it. We have not. This is my first film on Letterboxd. I'll be logging from him. So, next year is 1949, the year of Danny's dad. What was the first thing that was given an Oscar when Danny's dad existed? Well, it had four nominations, the 22nd Academy Awards. Drum roll, please. It is Alan Dwan's Sands of Iowa Jima, which I will tell you right now, the main actor in it is John Wayne, which is why I was laughing. At, like, it can't be worse than this. <laughs> You know, John Wayne wasn't ever in the military. There's actually this time on set where Howard Hawks got very mad at him because he couldn't salute. And he just started yelling at him about how he plays military people, but he was he never actually went into the service during World War II. Well, we can talk about I that like, next <laughs> I like thinking well, about that. Looking at this film, I immediately see a fantastic bit of trivia. But we'll talk about it next time. <laughs> I, I see one of the top letterbox reviews on it. Looks they have a lot of interesting trivia on it. So, um, but we'll watch the movie first. You know. All right. I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterbox at Blankmas. You can also follow my other podcast, Wise with Ty and Dan, where we just finished wrapping Moon Knight. Uh, and I say wrapping Moon Knight. We just finished. Yeah, that's not it's made sense. We're going to probably cover Doctor Strange. We're going to cover a bunch of other stuff, too. All waiting for Miss Marvel. It's Marvel Podcast. You know how it'd be. It's everywhere. Hey, guys. I'm Caleb. Uh, you can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, and from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, including All New 52, which I do with our, our editor, Joe, Hot Trash Unlimited, and Star Wars Therapy. We are... Uh, are one-year anniversary episode of Star Wars Therapy is out. It's a commentary track for A New Hope, and it's a lot of fun, so check it out. And thanks to our editor, Joe. I thanks, Joe. Joe. <laughs> You're alive. <laughs>
Um, Always forgot you. I'm Sarah. I you can find me on Letterboxd. <laughs> My name Sarah Kanaw. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm like seriously like this is draining my life. Um, <laughs> find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at sgkessgekay29. Um, you can find us us on Facebook, the Snub Club, Instagram, maybe Snub Club Podcast. Yeah, Snub Club Podcast, and then Twitter, Snub Club Pod. Be sure to check out our next episode where we might have a guest. <laughs> Danny's yeah. dad. Yeah. Hey, Dad, did you see this when you were a baby? <laughs> you might have been at the party. He lived in California. You don't know. You know? <laughs> he lived in the state of California. <laughs> All right. See you with the sands of Iwo Jima. Bye. Bye. Bye.